Hello and welcome to OU's Nach Yomi. You can find this year posted at ouradio.org.nach or on my website, ericlevy.com, under the recording section. Hi, this is Rabbi Eric Levy. I'm pleased to bring to you Chapter 27 of the Book of Eov. Yosef Eov Seit Mishalo Vayomar. And Eov continued to raise his mashal saying, Here we encounter a different opening than we've seen before. This is probably due to the fact that Eov was expecting so far's response. He was the third of the responders. And when it didn't come, he knows now that the discourse is over, and therefore he turns to all of them and addresses them at once. The word mashal, which I didn't translate, means a parable or a metaphor, meaning the words will be phrased in a metaphoric language, which is the linguistic coin of wisdom literature, and has been the coin of everything that's come before. Se'it mashal also is used in Tanakh to introduce prophecy. So perhaps Eov is beginning to see something about God's justice that he hasn't seen before, as we may ourselves come to see. Eov begins by affirming his religious honesty. He would rather say something blasphemous and disrespectful than to say something that isn't true. Eov's speech opens with an oath formula, which generally speaking involves swearing in God's name with a reference to an attribute or some action of God. Um, therefore he says, in the name of the living God who removed my last, my just judgment, and Shaddai who embittered my soul. Okay, so he's not pointing to the nicest attributes and actions of God, but he, he is pointing to actions and attributes which he feels that he can demonstrate is true, and therefore they are useful for him for anchoring his vow as one that is honest, at least in his view of how the world works. For as long as I have breath in me, for as long as I have the Spirit of God in my nose, My lips won't speak crookedly and my tongue won't utter falsehoods. In vows, the word im is more or less has the meaning of not or no or I won't, which means I won't speak. My lips will not speak uh, crookedly or falsely. Uh, imlo, by the way, which is not used here, but if you ever come across the expression imlo, that actually means the opposite. It means yes or I will or he will. In a swear, one is really saying, if I dare to do X, then God should punish me with Y, which means that you're really swearing that you're not going to do X. Finally, he turns to his companions and tells them, that falsehoods will never cross his lips. Never, never will I justify you. I will die before I will ever deny that I am without sin. Oh, there are a lot of double negatives there. What he means is, I will never admit a single flaw or a single sin in myself because there isn't one. So you're not going to push me to say something which is just not true. I hold fast to my righteousness and I will not release it for all of my days, which means from now until the day I die, my mind will not consider reproach. That is, I'm not going to cause myself to think that there's something wrong with me. And now he turns against his friends for the opposite, for their lack of integrity, their lack of honesty. 
Let my enemies be like the wicked. Those who rise up against me, meaning these three visitors, should be like the unrighteous, like anybody who commits the all kinds of sins, including all the sins that he's mentioned in the previous chapters. That is, they should be punished for their lies, for their falsehoods, the same way that, that sinners are punished. Because they are sinners. Indeed, the irreligious have no hope that they will profit, that God will make their souls find satisfaction. Will God listen to their cries when troubles come upon them? The answer is obviously and rhetorically no. No way. Im al shadayit anag yikra eloa b'chol eight. I'm translating the im here as a continuation of the rhetorical question, saying, meaning, will they take their joy in God? Meaning, no. Will they be able to call to God at any time they want? Again, no. Their dishonesty keeps them from making a positive, from creating a positive and rewarding relationship with God. You have a saying, because of your dishonesty towards God, that will keep you from having a positive relationship with Him. I will teach you what is in the hand of God. I won't hold back from educating you about all that is with God. That is, I'll teach you about God and His ways. And Eov is essentially turning the tables because he asserted that their doom is soon going to be upon them. And when that happens, he, Eov, will be the master and they will then be the receivers of wisdom and advice. For indeed, if you have seen, if you all have seen, seen that is the truth of what God is all about, which means if you truly saw it, whether you're Eliphaz and you said you saw it through transcendental, transcendental experiences, through kind of prophecy, whether you're Bildad who said that he saw it in his books of ancient wisdom, and whether you're Tzofar who says he saw it in his own inspired intellect, then, continuing with the verse, why have you driveled drivel? which means vanities, empty words. Uh, the Hebrew is very nice, hevel to hebalu. So I went with dribbled, dribble to keep the idea that the verb and the object are the same. This, meaning the words which I'm about to say in the following verses, this is the evil man's lot from God and the inheritance that the oppressor will take, that is, somebody who oppresses other people, will take as a punishment from Shaddai. Shaddai being the name which indicates the destructive or retributive retributive uh, power of God. Eov is referring, of course, to his companions. Sure, and he is quite sure that God will punish them. And this is quite a contrast to Eov's assertion that in general, generally wicked people, do not suffer consequences. So is it possible that Eov is having a change of position? Before we deal with that, let's look at the specific comeuppance that Eov promises for his uh, quote-unquote friends. If he will have many sons, they will be put to the sword. And if his offspring and his offspring won't be satisfied with bread, which means even if he seems to be rewarded by taking many wives and having many children, they will all be put to the sword or they'll die of starvation. And the reason that this will happen to him is because of the hebel tehebala, which is the worst thing a person can do, to speak with authority about something one knows nothing about, 
to misrepresent God, essentially to lie. Their remnants, that is those children that survived the sword and the starvation that I, that was mentioned in the previous verse, they will be buried from deadly diseases and his widows will not cry for him. And this goes back to a few chapters ago, the way Eov discussed that, uh, that the wicked people mistreat uh, their wives, maybe they take multiple wives to expand their uh, to, to expand their child base, uh, although here again he 's focusing on his companions as being those wicked people if they collect silver from the ground and from mounds of earth, they make clothes. It, the clothes, will be made, but for the righteous, that is, righteous people will get to wear it. They'll take it away from those wicked people. And the silver will be divided among the innocent. That's a common structure in poetry, by the way. Uh, it's called a chiasm, or chiasm. Uh, first we mentioned silver and then clothes, and then we went back in the second verse from clothes to silver. It's an A, B, and then B, A structure. Now it's going to explain why is it that wicked people, that you wicked people who speak falsely, why is it that you get these prophets which don't last long? It's not so much that you get prophets and then God decides to take it away. It's the very nature of how you get your prophets causes them to be lost. He, the one who speaks falsely, the wicked person, builds a house like a moth, which means he builds it diaphanous. He builds it short-lived. It reminds me a little bit of the uh, of the three pigs and the uh, wolf story about the ones who didn't spend any time building their houses got them blown down very fast. He builds a house like a watchman builds a sukkah, a field hut, which means his very actions create wealth, but that wealth is 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 built on a diaphanous structure and therefore easily lost. Ashir He lies down rich but collects none of it, meaning either after he dies all the gains are lost, or perhaps one day after he profits, or even a short time after he profits, right after that short time, all the profit is, is quickly lost. Easy come, easy go. His eyes open and then he is gone, meaning, I think, that he barely has time to appreciate what he has, and by the time he gets his eyes open, everything that he's gone is taken away. Again, whether it's taken away in death and he can't pass on to his children, or whether it means taken away from him, from, from himself, um, I can't say for sure. Again, I want to point out, I want to return to this idea that Eov, even though he's only focusing on his companions, saying that they are horrible sinners and this is what's going to happen to him, but, but the very fact that he's saying all this in this very last speech in the discourse, in my opinion, I don't see how he can help but notice that he affirms God's righteousness, that for all bad people, bad things will happen to them. And if that's true, that bad things do ultimately happen to bad people and that all of their ill-gotten gains are removed from them, then good people suffer less. Because as he stated in the previous chapters, the reason why good people really suffer is because bad people get away with making them suffer. So perhaps Eov's friends have inadvertently pushed him into recognizing that God does do justice. But 
I can't say that that's sure by conclusion. We'll have to take a look at the rest of Eov's words in the book and see whether that's true. Anyway, putting aside whether Job is getting an education, let's continue with his blasting of his companions. Tasigehu chamayim valahot laila genavatu sufa. Demons of the underworld will wash over him like water. Now, balahot can mean an actual personification of the demons or just the general sense of uh, destruction and, and, uh, and, um, uh, a withering away that happens after death. And remember, in the previous chapter, Eov connected the idea of uh, of being underwater with death. Getting back to the verse, at night the storm will steal him away. It will carry him away. Yisa'eyu kadim vayelach v'sa'areyu mimikomo. The east wind will lift him and he's gone. It will blow him away from his place. It will cast, that is, the wind, the storm, will cast upon him without mercy. From the storm's hand, he will flee and flee and flee. The sense of cast, yashlech, is, in, the way I see it, is uh, like a tornado or a hurricane, the way it blows up all kinds of dangerous debris, and one has to flee from it. He, God, will clap his hands at him, and that has a negative connotation of, of derision of a defeated person. He will brush him away from his place. And that's the end for the wicked, and the end of our discourse between Eov and his companions. There seems to be nothing more for them to say to each other. As I mentioned, Eov no longer begs for death. His faith in the justice system may be somewhat restored, although it's hard to say, but he certainly leaves off, not in a uh, suicidal state of mind, but a fighting state of mind. And I'd like to just take a second to mention the, re- the structure for the rest of the book as, we'll, as we're about to encounter it. Chapter 28 is an interlude. It has no header, so some people it's a continuation of the speech, but it really seems to be a, kind of a separate idea since it's an abstract contrast between man's wisdom and God's wisdom and how the, t- the two really cannot be compared and man needs to understand that no matter how smart he is, he cannot really understand what God does. Following that, Eov will swear his innocence among swearing other things and talking about other things in chapter 29 31, through 31. Then an unknown character, apparently an Israelite, named Elihu ben Barachiel Abuzi, will castigate his companions and castigate Eov and then give Eov a piece of his mind in four separate monologues. I say monologues because nobody responds to it. Uh, um, Elihu is on his own. God then will finally appear to speak to Eov twice from the storm or from the whirlwind as it's commonly translated. And Eov will give a short and very different and distinct response to each one. Finally, after Eov's second response, Eov is restored by God and the book comes to a conclusion in chapter 42. Tomorrow, we will do chapter 28, the chapter of wisdom.